Welcome to The Owl Hoot, a podcast for the environmentally curious, with me, Caroline Norbury. On each episode, I chat with a guest who contributes in some way to protecting the planet on matters of climate change, sustainability, biodiversity and pollution. Here is a place where you can gain new knowledge and be inspired. Enjoy listening. Today I have two guests, sisters Amy and Ella, who in 2016, at the ages of 12 and 10, started Kids Against Plastic. They aim to highlight environmental issues such as plastic pollution and climate change. They devised the Plastic Clever scheme, facilitating organisations to reduce their single-use plastics, and over 1,300 schools, cafes, businesses, councils and festivals across the UK have adopted it. They've also found the time to write two books with Be Plastic Clever in May 2020 and soon to be published Be Climate Clever. Their advocacy on plastic pollution, including two excellent TEDx talks, has resulted in them receiving the Pride of Britain Green Champions Award in 2021 and British Empire Medals in 2022. I am super excited to find out more about them and the charity. So welcome, ladies, to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having us. So I'd like to start by asking you, how on earth did all of this start? <laughs> this journey started back in 2016, which looking back on it now seems like such a long time ago. We were only 10 and 12 at the time and now we're 16 and 18, which is crazy. Uh, but this started when we were studying the UN's global goals for sustainable development with our parents. And we found these goals really interested and one really interesting and we wanted to focus down on a few in particular and through these goals we found out about plastic pollution and we were shocked that it wasn't everywhere in the news and we wanted it to be so we started doing our own research and we just got more and more shocked to the stage we couldn't just ignore this issue and instead we had to actually do something about it and that only started with us doing litter picks in our local areas as a way of trying to feel like we were doing something to tackle this problem. Um, but we quickly realised that we had to try and cut plastic pollution from the source. And that's been our main focus since then. So uh, you started litter picking, which is an amazing feat in itself, because I guess it's the kind of thing once you start looking out for it you can see it everywhere so that's uh, it's no mean task litter picking because it's a constant battle isn't it but how did you then think oh what can I do that is bigger and how did it grow from there I think alongside the litter picking another thing that we were quite interested in trying to tackle in the early stages of our campaign was actually supermarket plastic usage and in particular we really focused on plastic bottles in particular plastic bottles of water because we were just shocked at basically how unnecessary these were, especially in the UK where we have clean and safe tap water. It's so much cheaper to drink it from the tap. It can actually be better for you. And so we were finding out all these facts about in particular, this one item of plastic. And we were just thinking, well, that would be a great place to start. We'll just get the supermarkets to stop selling this item of plastic bottled water, thinking, you know, that would make sense to them in the same way it did to us when we were 12 and 10 and had discovered this massive issue and the impact it was having on the planet. And as you might imagine, it didn't quite go as we expected. We were emailing and getting in touch with the supermarkets, petitioning them, and basically not hearing back at all, um, hearing some kind of 
pre-written sustainability jargon that they sent back to us or we were getting some quite hostile retorts basically saying um you know that they weren't interested and I think that was a bit of a wake-up call for us and it showed us that just as two young girls who were really passionate about this issue we weren't enough to get these mega corporations to change their business and the products they sold and so that really was just a light switch for us to show us the demand that consumers have and the impact that that has. And so that was when we started exploring um, the Plastic Clever initiative and really trying to encourage consumer behavior around this issue so that ultimately will, it will help to put the pressure on supermarkets and corporations, which we've, which we've seen over the years since starting Kids Against Plastic. And so it just really showed us the power of that. And so that really became a big focus of our charity. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating that your natural curiosity is where it started. And then you're, I'm sensing a kind of, well, we can fix this sort of attitude. And even with the challenge of, oh, well, they're not interested. You, it would have been a, a lot of people would have gone, oh, well, that's just the way it is. What do you think it is about uh, you as maybe sisters or within your family or within your, where you live? What made you think, no, we can, we can address this, we can make change. I think something that played a role in that feeling of confidence and feeling of dedication was that we actually had been following two girls from an island um, called Bali called Isabel and Malati, and they'd started Bye Bye Plastic Bags. And at the time that we were 10 and 12, when they were that age, they'd managed to get Bali to ban plastic bags completely. So when we were just two young kids hearing that and we just got responses saying that people weren't interested in cutting out plastic bottles of water, we didn't really let it stop us because we knew the powerful impact that even just young kids can have. So we didn't let it dishearten us um, and instead let it help us guide us in a better direction for actually how we should be going about our campaigning and the running of our charity. Yeah, and I think also as young people, um, we kind of had this perspective of this is an immense problem and it's also something that's rapidly getting worse. You know, every year that we delay action on plastic pollution is another year that millions and millions of tons of it are produced and discarded. So it's a very real problem at the moment and it's very clear to see the impact that delaying even a year or two can have on this problem. And so we saw the longevity of this issue, especially when you consider the fact that plastic is this material that's been designed to last and be really durable. And yet, so when we're making all these single use products out of it, it is exactly going to have those properties. It's going to be durable and it's going to last for a long time. So we saw the impact that this problem was also going to have on our futures and our children's futures and generations to come. And we kind of had this view that if we didn't do something about it, where was the guarantee that someone else would and that we would see the action that was required against this issue and so I think that was a real driver for us and we were very lucky to also have really supportive parents who were encouraging us on this instead of saying okay well well done girls that's that's time to stop now mm. we're actually saying look you can make this difference and how can we support you in that well that, that, that's fantastic it's great that you've you've maintained that energy and that you've also got the supportive network i wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned there about plastic in that how you see it was it has that changed over time did you see it as something as like rubbish uh waste how did you view it and has it still the same or, or, or has it got larger because 
I found when I started podcasting that I was looking at one particular thing and before I knew it, it was enmeshed in quite a number of complex environmental issues. Has that been the same sort of thing with you or has it always been that you've been aware of the sort of hugeness of it all? I think we were aware to some extent the impact it was having. I think especially as we were quite young when we started the campaign, it was mainly around the stuff that really stuck out to us, which was especially as animal lovers, nature lovers, you know, all the statistics that are out there around the impact that plastic has on marine wildlife, um, on wildlife all around the world. And so that was something that really stuck out to us at the start. And also, as we were saying, this kind of mismatch of material and product. And so those were some clear things that we discovered. But what has been interesting to see over the years is how much the research around plastic and the impacts it has has developed because now exactly as you were saying it's really clear to see how much this issue connects to all sorts of environmental issues because you've got the microplastics you've got microfibers nanoplastics which are entering the oceans entering our bodies even and we're not exactly sure what impact that's going to have on us in the long term which is a still really developing area of science which is really fascinating and kind of scary to keep up with and then you've also got the massive impact um, that plastic has on the climate, which obviously is also a very rele relevant issue at the moment, very topical because of how quickly climate change is accelerating and how quickly we need to take action against it. And I think sometimes when we're talking about plastic, we often ignore that um, as a whole. And when we when when this issue is discussed, we ignore the impact that plastic is having on climate change and they're almost treated as these separate issues. When in reality, if we actually are to reduce our plastic usage on a large scale rapidly as we should be, it will have a really massive impact on the climate due to the amount of oil that's used to produce plastic. And so that really, I think, has been something that we learned over the years as we grew older and were able to understand more complex issues, but also as the science around these issues has become more concrete and there's been more research into them. In terms of what you've actually been doing in uh, with the Plastic Clever campaigning in schools, how has that gone? What what sort of impact have you seen from well, and how have you have you managed to get it into schools? Well, we've always really valued the impact of young people, which is why we thought this scheme applying to primary schools would be an amazing thing for kids to grow grow up with such an awareness of this problem and uh, trying to cut plastic out of their lives from such a young age. And the impact that plastic home schools can have is larger than just the amount of plastic that the school can cut out within the walls, but also the impact of the kids going home and talking to their family about it. And just a change in mindset is something that's really important if we're going to tackle the issue of plastic pollution, because a problem that is faced a lot with single use plastic items is how convenient they are. So instead, a shift in mindset is super important. And we found that it's been really rewarding applying this, this scheme to schools because we get pictures of what loads of schools have been doing, litter picks they've been on, and everyone's different versions of how they cut out plastic from their school. It's been, yeah, very rewarding to see. Yeah, and it's a big focus for us at the moment, not only because of what Ella said around how much we value youth voice and youth action as part of our charity. I mean, it's like it's in the name. I think it's kind of it's obvious that that's really at the heart of what we're doing, but also because 
you know, this year, 2022, is the current deadline of a government target that was set for schools back in 2018. That was set by the then Education Secretary, Damien Hines, and he set this challenge to UK schools to eliminate unnecessary single-use plastic by 2022. And obviously it is 2022 now, and there has been very little done by the government to actually help schools to reach this target. But we still think that that's a brilliant target for schools to have. It just needs to be supported more because teachers are already overworked, already have a stuffed curriculum. It's massively unfair to give them this quite large challenge and basically expect them to solve it themselves. So really making this scheme as accessible and easy for teachers as possible was a real heart of it. And is why it's a big focus at the moment to try and make sure that that target can still be reached, even if the government have sort of given up on it. It's something that's still very much in our focus and something we're pushing towards. And you mentioned primary. Have you stayed with primary or have you tried to branch out into secondary schools as well? We're actually currently developing the Plastic Clever Schools secondary scheme. So that's involving work with one of our local schools, actually seeing how a similar sort of idea can apply to a different type of arrangements in schools. So that's something we're excited to be developing as well, uh, mm. because it's, it's again, just carrying on that message through a young person's life is really underestimated in how important it is. And I also think teachers can learn a lot from it as well. So we're very excited to be developing it. I think the reason we kind of started with primary especially was because of exactly what Ella was saying earlier about how the younger you can reach kids and get them interested and involved in this issue. It's so important because by the time we get to teenagehood, you kind of already have those habits in place. Definitely when you're in adulthood, you might not really have an interest in the environment or the awe and wonder that we tend to all have when we're little kids around this issue. And also the energy. I mean, the energy that young kids have around environmental issues is just phenomenal. So we were really passionate to start with primary schools just so that we could reach as many young kids as possible to kind of capture that awe and wonder and allow them to explore it and explore the anxiousness they have around environmental issues within the school environment in the hope that not only will it help the school to reduce plastic usage but as Ella was saying will be something that they take into the rest of their lives so that by the time they do get to secondary school it's something that they're already interested in and aware of and then can start to do more work in their school then. I think it makes a lot of sense to start in primary for all those reasons that you have mentioned. Those, the fact that they haven't already set in a behaviour of picking up a plastic bottle for the fizzy drinking and, uh, and the fact that they are more likely to go home and talk about it, whereas secondary kids perhaps might not discuss their school life <laughs> quite so much with their parents or make demands. So I think that's, that, that's really, really inspiring, starting at that, that, that particular age group. How have you managed to reach so many schools? Is that, is that a religious, I mean, there are only two of you, <laughs> I imagine, or is, have you got, well, I say there's only two of you, obviously there's a, the Kids Against Plastic little team, but doesn't seem to be like a huge team unless you've expanded beyond your website. Yeah, we do have a team of kids, although that's kind of a different part of our charity currently where the Plastic Clever Schools is kind of separate, although we're working to try and mesh those two together since it has some really obvious links um, between them. But I think, to be honest, the schools initiative, we, we've basically just been a family making it up as we go along <laughs> with this charity. And the schools initiative was something that we started in 2018. Um, we tried to put something together that 
as we were saying, is quite accessible and usable for teachers. Both of our parents are teachers. And so that really helps in putting something together that was really hopefully usable and something that they would pick up in their classroom. And so was something that other teachers could as well. And to be honest, we kind of grew organically from there. It was just, as I said, making up as we go along in terms of outreach to teachers, trying to do it on social media, in particular, speaking at conferences or in person at schools, which has definitely been the best way to reach schools and teachers who are constantly bombarded with stuff via email, which was obviously made a bit more tricky during COVID as well. So it's kind of it's kind of been a learning experience for us really on how best to reach teachers. And I think, you know, we were really proud to get to about 1,100 schools just by ourselves with this scheme before in the middle of last year, we kind of revamped Plastic Clever Schools, made it the the programme it is today in partnership with another organisation called Common Seas to kind of just make it this really polished, um, slimmed down version, which is even more usable. So, yeah, I mean, we haven't really got a clear answer to it, I think, because it's just been a lot of finding what works, trying different things, trying competitions, prizes, reaching kids, <laughs> reaching parents, teachers, and something somehow has worked along the way with that. <laughs> well, I think a lot of things have worked, but you also talk about the fact that you've tried things and perhaps they haven't worked. How have you dealt with those challenges uh, and not gone oh goodness me this just isn't working <laughs> what what keeps you get, getting you know getting back up and going right let's try something else i think we've been really lucky to have our parents really supportive behind all of this and as young people it's been really useful to have an adult rational opinion on everything that goes wrong so for example after we got the emails back from supermarkets saying they didn't want to stop selling plastic bottles it was our parents who then went this is where you now look for a different alternative to bring that about in a different way so that's been really useful mm -hmm. um, but also I think another thing that's kept us going is the motivation for the issue because if we just think about the pure scale of the issue of plastic pollution and how much it links to the climate crisis and everything, all of the other environmental issues that are going on in the world. If we just gave in, it's the same as when we were beginning. Who's to say that there will be someone else who would take over our, our work and start doing their own thing to try and help tackle this issue? So it's always been a case of maybe it's a bit difficult, but mm. we can't underestimate the impact that we might be having that we don't know about. Mm. And we can't give in and stop spreading the message which could potentially persuade other people to start joining in on the movement as well yeah and I think also having a campaign run on positivity yeah has been a real help for us because we do a lot of on the ground work we do work with kids who are always really inspiring to us and motivate us to keep going when you see three-year-olds five-year-olds seven-year-olds really leading their parents out in their local area for litter picks that's incredibly motivating but also doing that on the ground work and building our charity around positivity and the things that we can all do has I think really helped with that and also the feeling of helplessness which is often there with environmental issues because we're not just waiting for governments or companies to take action and I think that is quite powerful to us to have the power to make change in our hands and not just to be lobbying and sort of waiting desperately for someone to do something but actually to be able to do our own work and work with our community of of schools and of young people and businesses and cafes it is, is quite useful to us to keep that motivation so that when it comes to working with government and business um which obviously is a really key part of, of the charity as well it's not something that's the be all and end all for us it's kind of another string in the bow of what we're doing 
And that point about having to work with businesses and government as young people, have you found that you have been taken seriously by those uh, organisations? I think we've been taken seriously more and more over the yeah. amount of time that we've been running the charity, because I think maybe closer to the beginning, like a few years ago, there wasn't as many young people who were speaking out against issues that they felt passionate about. So the power of youth voice wasn't as known about. But I think since so many young people have stepped up to speak about these issues and actually try and bring about change and support governments and businesses in making that change rather than having a battle against them I think more and more that voice has been respected and listened to and it's been really great to see how many how much there is in the news about these young people and as well as the issues generally just to help lift some people's platforms and help them in in making this journey and because in the end we're all trying to fight for a, a positive world a planet that's less polluted um it's nothing negative that we want to battle with people against it's for the sake of the planet the animals that live on here and the future of the human generations as well i think one of the things that i'm getting across from both of you is that despite navigating a very difficult and challenging environment um you you take your action as a way of going forward and dealing with the difficult aspects of that. Do you find you sometimes have to navigate your message a bit to ensure that other young people don't go, oh my goodness, this is really bad and just want to go under their duvet? How, how have you found that? Yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. And I think especially with our charity working with a lot of young young kids as well, not just teenagers, but actually you know, a lot of the kids that are part of our club are actually most of them under the age of 11, 12 years old. So a lot of really young kids who are just taking their first sort of tentative steps into environmental issues. And of course, exactly as you said, the last thing that we want to do is completely scare people off and, and really fill them with ECAM anxiety, which is a really big problem in kids of all ages now. So our charity, I think, is really built around positivity because of that. And introducing people to the problems but alongside that introducing some of the solutions and some of the things that they can all do instantly as well because I think a lot of the eco-anxiety that is felt by young people comes from this feeling of hopelessness and powerlessness against this issue so actually if we can start to help these kids take this issue into their hands even a little bit just through the small actions that they make in their lives or the litter picks they go on or the things they speak to their parents about actually it's a great first step so that when it comes to finding out the the heavy science on this issue and the really scary facts it's less of a as you said bury your head in the sand hide under the covers scenario and more of a okay this is another challenge that I've got to face but I'm really focused on looking at the solutions of this and looking at what we can do as opposed to what we haven't done. So that's really a mindset that we try and encourage through our charity because it's just one that we try and have as well. And I think with the kids that we work with, we've seen it be quite successful. Yeah. And we've now got 180 kids that we work with as part of our club around the world. And I think, you know, it's been great to see how that has worked with them and also how they inspire each other, because hearing from other young people and what works for them and the, the things that they're most interested in or the actions that they're doing is also such a great way to 
engage and interest of the kids as well. And in terms of your engagement and communication, you're obviously communicating at business level, at young children, quite a lot of different aspects. How have you found that? I mean, your communication skills are clearly excellent. You've done two TEDx talks. Is, is that something you were naturally grew up with or you've honed as a result of being part of this whole process? It was definitely something that we never expected when we were starting out on this process. And it is something that we've had to learn on the on this journey. And our parents taught us a few years back about how to do public speaking and answer questions and speak without having a script out in front of you to yeah, yeah. To, to ad lib a bit. <laughs> uh, so we've definitely had to develop those skills on the journey. And it's something that sometimes we might still feel a bit overwhelmed by, but it's something that we've we've both grown on this together and I know we did, We definitely wouldn't be able to have gone out and done our first TED talk on our own. And that's the special thing about running Kids Against Plastic as a charity for so long is that we've, we've just grown on this journey together and we've learned together and, and that's helped us get through a lot of things. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy to sort of look back at the beginning, I think, and mm. sort of, especially when you find recordings from sort of 2017 <laughs> at like a little festival and we're, we're there in our Kids Against Plastic t-shirts with our notes and you kind of think, oh my goodness, we've come so far since then. But it's very much been learning as we go. And, you know, before we started, this charity we we kind of didn't even want to get up in assembly at school or speak to classmates mm. in front of the class and you know when you compare that to something like the TEDx it's it's just crazy to see how far we've come through that and it's something that we're still developing though because especially as you get you know a new business get in touch to to try and work with them or if you start working with another organization or in a different field it's constantly these little pushes out of your comfort zone and I think we've just had to kind of have this mindset which our parents always encouraged in us of they might seem scary but if you don't take those opportunities you're you're not going to develop and you're not going to get to even where we are already today so yeah still a learning journey I think so what's next for you both it's a good question (laughs) (laughs) have you thought that far (laughs) yeah no we we yeah, we're, we're still, I mean, like I said, we've kind of made it up as we go along. So we're trying to make it up as we go along into the future. But we're starting to have more of a strategy now with kind of how far the charities come and the projects that we're working on. So I think through the charity, it's the youth elements of it that are really important to us. So trying to get the Plastic Clever Schools Initiative as implemented in the UK as we can. And also around the world, we've already had some international schools sign up as part of that. Mm-hmm. So trying to work with um, schools in plastic in Nottingham in, as part of the Plastic Clever Schools Nottinghamshire Challenge and then other counties around the UK and then of course secondaries. And developing the secondary, yeah. Yeah, so that's a big focus for us. And then alongside that, we've also got the Kids Against Plastic Club and also the Kids Against Plastic team, which is a group of those of those club members who we're working really closely with on the development of of themselves and their skills and how we can use the Kids Against Plastic platform to support them in the work that they want to do, which is something new for us, but something that's really exciting and a big focus for us going forwards, especially as we're kind of getting aware that we're kind of pushing it when it comes to calling ourselves kids you know I'm 18 now I'm officially an adult and the last thing I want is to be kicked out of the charity of course but we're very conscious of the legacy of the charity that we have as well and how it can't be us running it forever but we would love for the charity to have some kind of 
um, legacy to it and a future, which I think is going to come from the amazing kids that we are working with and the difference that they're already making, but the changes that they can definitely make in the years to come down the line with hopefully the support that we can give them. That, that sounds brilliant. And I love the fact that even at 18, you're thinking about who's going to take over from you, <laughs> which is great. What, what has been, uh, when you reflect back and you are only 16 and 18, what has been the most rewarding success that you've had during it, if there is one that you can pick out? There's definitely been some moments that we're very proud of during this journey. And one of those for me was when we got the opportunity to speak at the United Nations headquarters in Geneva on Human Rights Day in the Human Rights Chamber. And that was an absolutely amazing and eye-opening experience speaking to school children and politicians and the news. It was a very packed day that we learned so much from and it's something that we're definitely very proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to kind of cheat the way up the question <laughs> in a way, um, <laughs> it also has been one of the most rewarding parts has been working with young people and seeing them grow and seeing everything that they've been getting up to. And that's just been mm-hmm. not not a, a, a milestone event, but it's something that has been rewarding to see as this journey develops. Mm-hmm. So as, as we come to wrap up this uh, really, really exciting and powerful conversation, I wonder what you see 2050 will be like, what changes will have been made, what, what will plastics, will there be plastics in 2050, what will it look like, do you hope or you imagine? Yeah, I think we've kind of got two completely different views um, of what, not not each of us having different ones, but like two, there's two ways that it could go. I think when we look yeah. at 2050, especially as this decade, this less than a decade now was such a crucial one. And so obviously you've got the one route of, we're not seeing the targets being met when it comes to climate action. We're not seeing a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions or in plastic production and disposal, which will I think lead to quite a bleak 2050 that, is not a nice one to imagine, especially when you've got the uh, the next IPCC report coming out a couple of days ago, which was already outlining the devastating impacts that these issues are having on people now, never mind in sort of 30 years time. But then on the flip side, which is the side that we always like to not blindly imagine, but on an optimistic view of what this could look like, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, it'd be a really nice thing to think about is that we will see the action that's taken in the next decade. We will see the pressure put on governments that's required to make these changes urgently. We will see everyone, individuals coming behind these issues and making changes, using their voices. And ultimately, we will see that reduction in these pollutants that we need to see. And so, yeah, I think we um, we always try and focus on that side of things. But yeah. with it being such a crucial time at the moment, we'll have to kind of wait and see. But we're just going to try and do our best to push for for that second option yeah excellent that's that's the that's the kind of vision I like to also imagine as well <laughs> so and finally I usually end with asking about what other things you do in your lives in terms of sustainability I imagine it's pretty enmeshed in your life um so part of that question is are there other things within your life that you also look at <laughs> I can't imagine it's just plastic but also if there was like a one message you could get out to anyone that listens to this what would it what would you ask them to do perhaps? I think a message we like to spread to as many people as we can is to never underestimate the power of your own actions, no matter how big or small they might be, because every little change that you can make in your own individual life 
if everyone joined in and made that same change, then it would have a massive impact. Mm. So a mindset of, oh, this action might be too small to actually have an impact on such a big issue is actually completely wrong because it will have a big impact. So, yeah, we just encourage people Mm. to never underestimate that power and never feel like they're doing anything too much or too little. They're just doing as much as they can. Yeah. And alongside that, on that point of as much as you can, I Mm. think trying to view sustainability not as an add on to your life, but as something that you can fit into your life. So whether it's through, you know, the subjects that you're interested in, if you want to study at school as a a career in the environment, or whether it's just through the when you go and get your coffee at the local coffee shop, or whether it's through the changes you make at home, kind of trying to look at not how you can add this on to your life and buy loads of sustainable products or completely make massive expensive switches. But instead, see how it can really mesh in with what you're already doing because that's really the best way to start taking action and also to continue that action so it's not something that leaves you feeling burnt out and overworked but actually is really trying to fit it into the behaviors that we already have I think that's such an important last message it's about embedding sustainability into your everyday life and not adding it on as you quite rightly say so that's a fantastic place to end Thank you, ladies. You've been very inspiring and uh, it's been such a, an honour to be able to chat to both of you young people. So thank you. No, thank, thank you so you. much. It's been great. Wow, these two young women are amazing. They are leading the way in how to take on the tough environmental challenges of our time, seemingly undaunted by the facts they've researched and working with a positive mindset to make a difference. In sharing resources through the Plastics Clever Schools Initiative, they inspire future generations to get involved in delivering change. Their spirit is to be applauded and I love the fact that they are now having to face succession planning. I thought their closing messages were impressive. No individual action is too little and enmesh sustainability within your life rather than adding it on. For more information on Amy and Ella and the Kids Against Plastic charity, see the links in the show notes. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music, and to you, of course, for listening. Don't forget you can subscribe to get automatic access to each new episode, and it would be lovely if you could rate, review and share the podcast. It really helps. Until next time, bye for now.